for the week of May 30th, 2022. This is Obi-Wan TV Talk from Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into the highly anticipated Disney Plus series. Today, we are finally discussing the two-part premiere of the highly anticipated live-action series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, in which Obi-Wan struggles with his path as a Jedi in protecting the young Luke Skywalker, as well as the new presence of Inquisitors on Tatooine. Dave, what did you think of this two-part premiere? This was... A very good premiere, I think. Like they couldn't have done any better as far as what they put out for the first two episodes, and just the fact that they gave us two episodes was uh, fun for me because I know they were originally supposed to, from what the, what we saw on the internet, they were originally supposed to air this like three or four days earlier, like Wednesday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But as a bonus, okay, we're gonna make you wait. We're gonna give you two episodes. What what more could you want? Right, and this was kind of I think that. Uh... They initially didn't think about the planning around the Star Wars celebration that's currently occurring in Anaheim, mm-hmm. California. And so I think this was just kind of one of those things like, oh, shoot, maybe we should have planned this for a different thing. And so by pushing it back two days, they said, you know what, let's just give them the first two episodes. So a lot of fun here. Now, I just it's so heartbreaking because we know what happens if you're watching mm-hmm. obi-wan kenobi you probably know what happens with in episodes one two and three and all the whole thing and you've probably seen all the star wars films but the fact that they just like threw us that recap to show us the heartbreaking uh relationship between obi-wan and anakin was uh it, it i already started this series with kind of a nod in my throat what about you yeah, it was an emotional ride, that's for sure, because I, I wasn't expecting the recap either. It was just one of those things, oh, wow, look at that, That's there's everybody. Yeah. It's uh, it's probably good, though, because really, in reality, unless you are watching the movies on a regular basis, it's probably been a while since you've seen one through three, and you might be a little hazy on who did what and when and where. You got the general stuff. You're like, we all know Qui-Gon died, how he died, but seeing it all again, like scenes from episode one all the way through to episode three, it was a good way to reopen and get you refreshed with the series to this point. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of um, intentional placement of some of the lines that they had here, like uh, with Obi-Wan or with uh, Yoda's line telling Obi-Wan basically that he has training for him on Tatooine to commune with his old master. Uh, that's obviously a setup for mm-hmm. what's coming in future episodes. And then also I think what was also set up was, the line from Padme where she basically pleads with Obi-Wan and says that they're still good in Anakin. So that whole setup's coming. I'll kind of get into my theories of that. But we kind of get start off with like that recap of the knot in our throat. And then immediately it starts with Order 66 in the temple. Like this yeah. is something that we've kind of seen like flashes. If you've watched uh, any of the animated series, you've obviously seen some of that in uh, – the Bad Batch, and of course in Clone Wars, and then you've seen um, flashbacks in some of the games that have been played of that that infamous day. But this time we get to see really inside the temple with a previously unnamed Jedi who is protecting her younglings and of course fails to uh, escape with them. But is this something like, did the writers and Deborah Chow basically say, 
let's just give them an extra look? Or do you think this might be a setup uh, maybe for an origin of one of the Inquisitors? It might be a couple of things. I've been thinking about that. Um, I think that's one of them. I'm almost certain that Reva is going to turn out to be one of those kids. That's what I think too. And the other thing I'm thinking is we've already seen another Jedi get hunted down and killed in this episode. It happens fairly quickly. I'm thinking if we see any other Jedis have that happen to it, it's going to be these kids that escape. Yeah. They've grown up without masters. They're using whatever abilities they have available to them, may still have their lightsabers with them because we don't know what they grabbed on their way out of the temple or if they just ran. So and maybe they found a lightsaber along the way and picked it up. Who knows? Um, we don't know where they were in their training. So that's the other thing. I'm thinking we might be seeing each, if we see more Jedi die during this, if it comes up to four or five, I'd say it was the group of the kids plus Reva. That's yeah. my two takes. Unless they just kind of want to just further put the knot in our throat. And these are the children that run into the, uh, <laughs> into the chambers for, um, of course, you know, the council, that would be something that would just be heartbreaking. You just see the door close behind them and then you just hear whispers. Okay. I think we're safe. That would just, that be, could that be, be too. <laughs> that would, would be horrible. <laughs> I uh, hope they don't do that. Yeah. So anyway, let's go ahead and dive into, um, these inquisitors. So we kind of get this first live action look at the fifth brother and the grand inquisitor. And then of course, what I'm calling like this outcast inquisitor, uh, Reva or Reva, um, now what was your take on this kind of angsty, like little sister inquisitor, um, in the portrayal by Moses Ingram? Like this was so captivating to me. And I liked that she is kind of this, uh, like she's the little sister They kind of like dismiss her. She's reckless. She's trying to prove something constantly, um, and just full of anger and hate specifically for Obi-Wan. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way to play it. She's specifically directing all of her anger and aggression at Obi-Wan. And it's brought up a couple of times during this episode, part one, and again in part two. I mean, it's an overarching theme. She wants to be the one to bring in Obi-Wan. And it's got to make you wonder why. Like, we don't know everything about Obi-Wan, of course, because we only see his path and his travels through with Anakin. Um, but if she's, say, one of these kids that we saw earlier, she would have, like the Grand Inquisitor, knowledge of who was with who, who trained who. Maybe she blames Obi-Wan for how things happened. Who knows? Like, it could be anything. We've got so many paths we could go with her. Yeah. And it's also not common knowledge that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. But what we find in part two is that she has that she knowledge. So for some reason, she has access to that knowledge. Maybe Vader's the one that set her out on this crazy mission, or maybe he has hinted at it at the Inquisitors, because we don't really know who all knows. Like, we've had hints of it before. Uh, the Thrawn novels, Thrawn, just because he's so wise, puts two and two together, but nobody actually knows that Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, but here we have with Reva, who knows that and kind of teases that over there. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. For some reason, she is obsessed with with tracking down Obi-Wan. She wants to be the one to take him in. Um, and the Grand Inquisitor, he's he's kind of just like taking the situation and he's dismissing her. And it's kind of the, and the fifth brother is like, you guys are never going to find Obi-Wan. But she 
it has a pretty good plan here. Yeah. And and this plan of hers, it was uh, surprising to me because I thought where we would be going with this series is watching more of Obi-Wan, watching Luke, looking for, you know, the signs of the force, like, like uh, Owen said in his, one of his speeches too. Ben, you're, you're too, Obi-Wan is Ben. You're just looking to see if he's showing you. You don't care. You just want to train him. Like that was the thing. That's what we, that's what I was expecting to see. But instead the series takes a, a 180 and focuses on the other twin yeah, on Leia, which was interesting. Yeah, it's really cool, and we'll get into that here shortly. And so kind of looking at Obi-Wan, of course we knew that this was kind of going into like this hopeless version of Obi-Wan, but to the point where there's a Jedi, another Jedi on Tatooine who basically finds Obi-Wan, and uh, this Jedi Nari basically seeks help and is still has hope, and Obi-Wan's basically like, nope, I refuse, but he wants to train Luke. Um, and I liked this setup with Luke and Owen, because of course the only time Owen ever mentions uh, Obi-Wan in the, uh, in the original trilogy is he refers to Ben as kind of this crazy old man. And we kind of get the start of why he's doing that here in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, where like, he doesn't care. He's just looking to see if he's showing. Right. And uh, throughout, uh, throughout uh, the interaction we have with uh, Owen Lars in, in this, in this episode, it's his main focus now is protecting his family, including Luke. Like he's aware of Luke's origins. One of the few people who he knew were, and, uh, he's going, okay, well you train, like he said, he said it, you trained his father. Look what happened there. I don't want this to happen again. So just leave him here on the farm. Forget about him. Disappear. Go away. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and I think what he tells Raven in this episode that he kind of views the Jedi as yeah. being, you know, scum. I think that's a true statement from Owen. I don't think he's happy with the Jedi because, of course, he sees the result of the galaxy. And to be fair, it's kind of the Jedi's fault. Like, it's their unintended consequence of some of their actions of getting involved in the war. So I can see why there are people that um, truly you know, that have seen the good side of the Jedi, but also see that they were kind of reckless. And of course the old, the worst result is with Owen, where his stepbrother is of course, turned mm -hmm. into Darth Vader, all that stuff. But it also seems that Obi-Wan is still hopeful in the prophecy. Like the fact that he wants to train Luke in the first place. So maybe he's just wanting to train him to protect him. So he's not, he doesn't show and the inquisitors come after him. But this kind of brings in what you were saying, where the series kind of took this full like 180 and is now focusing on the other twin, which is Leia Organa. And we see that kind of Leia, she, and by the way, the portrayal of this kid is so darn cute. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they like counseled her through it and like, let's, you're going to act like Carrie Fisher mixed with Natalie Portman to kind of get like that nice little flow here. But she did totally feel like, um, she totally felt like her attitude was modeled after Natalie Portman and this uh, prequel trilogy. It was just so, uh, such a great portrayal here. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we get more of that in uh, the second episode when uh, Obi-Wan rescues her. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but yes, yeah, the first episode running around, hanging with droids, climbing trees, looking at ships going, Oh, definitely a pirate ship, things like that. Yeah. That's all things you would absolutely be able to see a Padme Amidala doing as a young girl or 
even Anakin, really, because she's running around climbing trees. And when you watch the chase scene, when uh, the guys are about to kidnap her, you, and you just look at the way she's sliding through things and whatnot, you have to wonder how much of that is her and how much of that is force. Right. Yeah. And uh, you're absolutely right, because she is she's very shifty. Um and does a good job at evading these kidnappers at first. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This is something where I think we might going to see more hints of that. Uh, she, because Luke is probably showing too, but in his own ways, like his fascination with, you know, uh, flying and pod racing. And of course, that is mm -hmm. what caused Qui-Gon to question Anakin's ability because he's like, oh, you're a pod racer. That's humans don't pod race in the first place, but the fact that you're a human kid pod racing shows that you probably have, you know, Jedi like reflexes. So mm -hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. This is probably some of the force showing through her. Um, and she's around the same age that Anakin was when he was pod racing in the first place. But Obi-Wan, when Leia gets kidnapped, he kind of refuses at first. And this is kind of bringing me back to this prophecy thing. Cause bail really reminds him that she's just as important as Luke. Yeah. And I like this kind of combination because there have been so many theories like who is a prophecy really about and is it really a, you know, a three-way prophecy where it's really about all three of them, uh, you know, all this type of stuff because um, just all the stuff that was hinted in the Legends lore, we're getting hints of that with Disney now taking charge and making this kind of broader Star Wars universe. We're getting hints of all these mm -hmm. like Legend lore things and hints from the cartoons, hints from the comics, all this type of stuff, which has just been really cool as a Star Wars fan who's consumed not all of it, but quite a bit of it. It's it's really neat to see. And as as a fan that hasn't uh, been doing much in regards to the cartoon, I've been more, as far as the, the extended stuff, been more the Disney-era Star Wars fan in that regard. But uh, being aware of some of it, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, because I know there's things being pulled from other places, and I love seeing it, because it's, it's one of those things where to keep the, to keep the universe going, they, they need to keep the Legends lore going in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I know there was this big debate years, years back when they started striking stuff down as canon and only Disney stuff was thing, but... I think uh, with who they we've got running the franchise right now, we're going to see the Legends lore keep creeping in like it is right now. And it's it's a good thing. It's a really good thing because, like you said, we're seeing hints of it now coming through with the, okay, you know, both kids are, are uh, important to the prophecy or just important in general to the Jedi as a whole. And you don't know. We might see that throughout her development in this, in this uh, miniseries that they're doing, Maybe we'll see what leads up, or at least the start of what leads up to what we see in the actual prequel. Or, or no, it's five, it's seven, eight, nine, where we see Leia training with Luke and all that stuff. We might get some of that. Right. Yeah, and everything's on the table. I mean, they've done a great job with showing, you know, uh, Luke after, uh, of course, the events of. Um, Return of the Jedi and just all this sort of stuff. So anything is possible within this. And this kind of leads us into the part two of this series where Obi-Wan, he ultimately decides to head off. Uh, even though he's not, he doesn't want to use the force. He does um, grab his lightsaber. And this is kind of where we first see him 
uh, kind of mm-hmm. embracing this path. So this is really kind of setting the stage for the rest of the series that Obi-Wan is at least willing to go off world to leave Luke unintended to basically fulfill other things that he sees as um, just as important. But basically, Obi-Wan tracks down these kidnappers to this crime-ridden world where spice rules the streets and names are forgotten. And so now Obi-Wan needs some help because, again, he can't really use the Force to seek out Mm -hmm. Leia because if he does, we know how sensitive these Inquisitors are to the Force around them. Now, what did you think about seeing kind of this underworld type of city with all this crazy stuff going on? It was certainly unique for a Star Wars uh, show. I mean, we've we've gotten some glimpses into the underworld on Tatooine before. Um, there was uh, the casino scenes and whatnot in uh, the prequel episodes. Um, but to actually have an underworld world, that was great with the buildings and everything. And it's like they took the Bounty Hunters Guild that they set up in Mandalorian and plopped one right here in the middle of this episode. And it was great to see that mechanic being used again. Yeah, and it's it's truly showing the diversity within Star Wars in itself, like diversity of world, diversity of species, diversity of races. Like we're seeing all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. come together, which we knew existed because of course this is a galaxy we're dealing with, not just a handful of planets. And we're seeing kind of that expansion. And so I really like that. And then Obi-Wan he hears that there's another Jedi on this planet, and what he finds is that this person is a Jedi imposter, Haja, which is played by Camille Nanjiani. Now, what did you think of this character? Because I thought that uh, the portrayal was funny enough to fit, uh, of course, Camille Nanjiani's uh, you know, personality and his mm-hmm. comedic background and his comedic timing, but it still felt like Star Wars. It didn't feel like over-the-top kind of comedy. No, no, it was perfectly balanced, like like you said, for his style and for what what we need here. It was a nice little comic relief in the middle of uh, what's been a two part dramatic episode. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's exactly what you'd expect a trickster in the Star Wars universe to do to replicate the Jedi powers in order to fleece somebody out of their credits. I mean, the remote to shut the doors, magnets to do the the pull that mm-hmm. is perfect and it worked well. It was just funny enough. Right. And this kind of sets up for what his true motives are, because of course he's the one that helps Obi-Wan uh, get off world. But what might his true motive be? Cause it could go a couple things. Maybe he's trying to get the credits himself or he's like the broom boy from the last Jedi who still has hope in the force to kind of bring balance to the galaxy like what do you think is going on with this character haja well he's definitely he's definitely in it to make some money he said so himself like i like credits one of his lines direct quote so he he does that but at the same time he said himself the uh, in the episode the family that obi-wan saw him fleece out of 300 credits or whatever it was he said that family's safe i got them off world they still went wherever they went you never know which is fine um you assume or at least you have to assume in some point that the reason these families are seeking out this jedi is because maybe their kids are showing force powers and you gotta 
think that with all the Inquisitors running around with lightsabers and whatnot, they know that there are still some individuals out there that the Empire is interested in. So maybe in his way, he's going, yeah, if I can help these possible future Jedi out, let's uh, get them off world, make some money while I'm at it. No big deal. But he, he sees Obi-Wan and realizes he's dealing with the, the real thing here. And yeah, I think he just said, I've got some hope. I'll buy you some time. Get your kid, get, get your get your daughter or whoever she is off world. Do your thing. I'll buy you time. Mm-hmm. Because I'm... I'm no. He's basically saying, "I'm no friend of the Empire. I'm going to help you. I want, I want a better world." Is yeah. what he's after, even if he is a little shady, right? And this is a Camille on Johnny has always been a name. Like ever since he did uh, his Silicon Valley show, he's kind of been in the forefront there. Of course, his stand-up com- uh, comedy has been a big thing, and then he's been a supporting uh, character in film since like 2007. Uh, but now, of course, he's starting to become a, you know, a co-star in some of his films and even a star in others. So this isn't a cheap buy. Like, I don't know if he just volunteered to do this. So I would assume we see this character come back um, and we see his motives play out a little bit more. Maybe we get a bigger dive into the importance of this character. But I'm super excited here. Now, what happens with Obi-Wan is also just kind of great attention to detail. So he basically finds these uh, kidnappers who set a trap for him. Uh, He's able to get out, but he's not able to do that with the force. And we kind of see that struggle here where he's Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by these kidnappers because it's a one guy against, you know, three or four. um, And then overwhelmed with pain when he punches one. And the fact that he can only escape with using some of his, you know, trickery. Yeah. This is this is just Obi Wan because it's been it's been a decade since he's been Obi Wan. This is Obi Wan rediscovering all the things he's forgotten, like how much it does hurt to punch somebody, like the fact that he can be overwhelmed because he's rusty in using the Force and he's trying actively to repress and not use it. This is this is an Obi Wan that remembers what to do, but has forgotten the pain and a lot of the skills that go with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so he, he's able to get out, he gets Leia and this, the, however long they're on screen together, whether it was, you know, 15 minutes or 20, however long it was, you really see just Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Obi-Wan and his understanding of the character is so well thought out because he can't really say anything like we're not getting narratives uh you know of a a narrator saying obi-wan feels remorse and feels pain that he's dealing with the daughter of his you know former apprentice like brother Mm -hmm. like those type of things but you see that portrayal here you feel the connection that obi-wan has with leia and the point just like where he kind of like steps back and looks at her and is like you remind me of someone Mm -hmm. um obviously he's talking about you know padme who is reluctant and hard-headed and uh you know doesn't take no for an answer and says hey we're kind of doing this my way like i got this plan and even though she's so young obi-wan kind of steps back and he feels that and it's again puts that knot in your throat because in another world he's basically her uncle and he was there at her birth um but he can't he can't say any of this because of course he can't reveal who he Mm -hmm. really is to this little girl and his background with her yeah, and, and that's got to be a rough thing. Like, 
anybody, as I know there are people out there that do experience something like that. Um, I know uh, somebody I know in my life uh, who was adopted, who found out later on, and he found out that one of his relatives was working in the same company in the same building as him, and he didn't even know it. So let's let's just assume for the moment that the person who was working with my 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 old friend was aware of who he was. That person may have known the situation, um, like what going on in the past, why he was given up for adoption and whatnot, and had to keep quiet yeah. because it wasn't their place. But it turned out it was an uncle or of his that was working there, and they talked later. But I can imagine that person in that exact situation going, there's my nephew over there, but I can't say anything. Uh-huh. And I can only imagine that that was a rough place to be. Right. And, and it's heart-wrenching. Yeah, it is. And I don't know where Ewan McGregor pulled his emotions from, his stance from on that particular subject, but he did an excellent job. Yeah, and it was it was so great because ultimately Obi-Wan doesn't want to show the Force. Uh, he knows that the Inquisitors are on planet, they're on a lockdown, so now he's like, he really can't show the Force, because if he did before, at least there'd be enough time to hop on the ship and get out of mm-hmm. there, but now he's like, they can pinpoint exactly uh, where I am, they'll film me even closer, and they probably already are sensing a lot of things, and we see that the Rave, of course, is very much in tune with what is going on on this planet. She's very aware. She's kind of like very similar to like Batman. That's that mm-hmm. was my view of her when she's kind of sitting on the edge of one of these buildings, you know, looking out for the city. Very similar to kind of, you know, what Batman does, but even more intense because of course her motives are more on the evil side. Um and Obi-Wan basically chooses to put uh Leia's life above his own twice. The first time mm-hmm. is when he uses the force to catch her from falling. I mean, this is an easy out for Obi-Wan. He lets her fall and, you know, oh, sorry, Bail, but, you know, she's dead. She fell to her death. And then the second one is basically where he, we know what he's saying to her. And of course, as a kid, she doesn't know it where he says, I'll be right behind you. This is the classic, mm-hmm. I'm holding them off while you escape type of thing. Um, yeah, it's super emotional here, and uh, we see in this kind of this launch pad or this cargo pit that Reva is right there. She's she knows the situation, like she knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. She knows that there's no escape here. That he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, and uh, the only thing that saves Obi Wan is the Grand Inquisitor uncovers Reva's plot, um, and he basically kind of chooses to. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin the thing and take credit for the building of the Death Star like how did you feel about this portrayal of the Grand Inquisitor and kind of his like evil scheming behind the whole thing even though he was discouraging Reva from chasing this in the first place yeah I like how you you described it as Grand Moff Tarkin in uh, this particular situation as even Reva says "You're you're just here to take the credit I've got I've drawn him out I brought him here it doesn't matter where I started I'm the one who got this done. It should be my glory. You you can't just come and steal it. Like that's basically what she's saying before she runs him through with a freaking lightsaber. Right. Which I'm sitting around going, okay, when I was watching this, I'm going, okay, yep, we're gonna see I was thinking, we're gonna see a lightsaber battle here, but it's gonna be between the Grand Inquisitor 
and Riva. And I, I was half right. She pulled out her lightsaber and ran him through. But now that brings up a question. We've seen the Grand Inquisitor in in Rebels. Right. We've we've we know he's around still. What are we going to do now? <laughs> right. Yeah. This is kind of the thing that is super cool because this is a shocking like she stabs him. Uh, we knew that her her fate was going to be the uh, the reveal of the series, if you will, because, of course, mm-hmm. we haven't seen her in anything. This is a completely brand new character to this Obi-Wan series. So we don't know what her fate is. We do know what the Grand Inquisitor's fate is. But this kind of goes into uh, this, like, this weird decision that was made it's already a major controversy on social media disney is ruining star wars we need answers damn it like what the heck is going on you can't kill the grand inquisitor obviously these people know what they're doing there are so Mm -hmm. many options here now before we get into that i do want a side note i love how the intensity of the Sith eyes change for the Grand Inquisitor. Like we've seen that with mm-hmm. Anakin in episode three, where he kind of turns around and we see for the first time kind of like that glimmer of the Sith eyes, but then they vanish. The only Sith that we've truly seen them stick around for is in Rebels. We see the Grand Inquisitor has them all the time, mm-hmm. but we only see Darth Sidious as having them full time. And which obviously shows just kind of the evilness of, of Sidious, but just I love how like at some points they're for the Grand Inquisitor they're like glowing they're so bright mm-hmm. and then other times they go back down to like his natural eye color just really cool things there um, but let's go ahead and get into this impaling of the Grand Inquisitor so first I think the Star Wars fans need to acknowledge that a huge number of dedicated Star Wars fans. We can't just say they're not dedicated, mm-hmm. but people that are dedicated to the films or dedicated to the live action shows have never seen a single episode of any of the cartoon series. They've never read a single comic. They've never read a single book, but they're still dedicated Star Wars fans. So we have to acknowledge that they don't know where this is going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second thing is um, we need to understand that Pablo Hidalgo was credited as basically a Star Wars lore consultant. Mm -hmm. He is credited for that, which means he is overseeing everything. All these decisions are going through him, which he has been in Star Wars for a very long time doing this very thing, and this is now his credit. Um, So the options are, option one, the Grand Inquisitor isn't dead. Uh, that's probably the most obvious one. We've seen people get impaled, cut in half, get shot in mm-hmm. the stomach, and live to see um, another day. And then option two, maybe Darth Vader has like a vat of Snoke-like clones just chilling and waiting for this whole thing to go down. So what do you think is the most obvious here? Uh, do you think it's even important to discuss? Like, it's not the Grand Inquisitor show. We know he survives. Like, do they even need to explain it? I would say no, because when it comes right down to it, either of those options, because they've been established, is is fine. I mean, we've seen Darth Maul come back with robot legs after being cut in half by Qui-Gon Jinn. He, we've, as you said, we've seen people shot in the gut and stabbed in the gut and various things, including Star Wars. We've seen lightsaber wounds that look deadly not be deadly. 
there's there's no reason to think that they've killed the Grand Inquisitor here. It was just one of those things. I think it was included just for the shock value for people yep. who know where he goes. And all of a sudden, hey, he's got a lightsaber through his back. I didn't know that habit happened. So, yeah, cool. It, it was a shock value, and it was good for the production. And it removes him from the story for this to be Rava mm -hmm. and Obi-Wan's story, which I think is what it's ultimately going to be. Yeah. I think they're going to show us what happens with the Inquisitor because you don't just put that in there and not explain it. So no. they will do that. But I think this basically kind of puts him in a, you know, a healing vat for the remaining, you know, uh, five episodes that we have for um, this to be Rava's time uh to try to basically gain his his position so i think that's what's going on here uh to kind of close out our thoughts on this this revelation of vader like this is again hats off emmy award level for mm -hmm. a1 mcgregor for basically being able to like shake like tremble at this revelation but this is obviously going to be the driving factor for the series, right? Like, will this be the point that uh, he finally gets to talk to Qui-Gon? Like, all these hints are there. I think this here, the revelation that Anakin Skywalker is alive, is this the storyline that we're going forward with. If anything, it's going to be a reoccurring theme. If it's not the primary, it'll certainly be secondary because you can't drop that hint and show Hayden Christensen in the vat with the makeup. Because I watched those credits when I saw, okay, is this just somebody that they're making play the character, or is that Christensen? Because you can't tell yeah. with the face covering and all the stuff going on. So I purposely sat through the credits to see if he was credited. And you don't put the actor with that name in the credits if that wasn't him. So... Something's happening with the Vader storyline, whether it's Obi-Wan and Vader have another fight before the Death Star battle where Obi-Wan uh, chooses to die, whether it's just we see Va Hayden Christensen as Vader directing the Inquisitors and maybe chewing out Reva or something like that. We know there's di uh, we know that Christensen has dialogue from what we've seen on the internet before. Um as to what that storyline is going to be, I have no clue, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah, and, and we know how Qui-Gon Jinn felt about Anakin Skywalker. Maybe Qui-Gon sends Obi-Wan on a quest to maybe redeem Anakin. Who knows what's going on? But we do know we're going to see more Inquisitors. We're going to mm -hmm. see Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader in the suit. We're, we'll probably see some flashbacks of him, all those things. But... Until that revelation is fully realized, you can keep up with the show on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our shows online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to review and subscribe. You can find more TV Talk podcasts at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always. <laughs>